0: Hello everyone and welcome to Connection Inside Access, shifting gears brought to you by Apple. We appreciate their support. James Hilliard here, joined by two of our finest. We have our retail strategy director, Brian Gallagher on board. Also here is Jamal Khan. He's our president for Global Serve digital e-commerce and marketing. As I mentioned, our focus is retail to e-tail, really the transformational journey that retailers are on. We'll look at some retail. We'll look at some tech. Brian, with that, I want to dive in with you and really just a a little preamble, maybe, if if you will, here. Two minutes or so, a a little State of the Union of retail from your perspective, from the conversations you have with uh, your partners and customers out there. Where do we stand these days, especially given what we've been dealing with since March with COVID-19?
1: Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah, as the retail strategy director here at Connection, I've had the unique opportunity over the last three plus years to look at retail from the technology standpoint. But prior to joining Connection, I spent over 20 years in the retail trenches at driving store engagement and sales leadership for a number of companies. So for those of you who do know me, you will know that I am a true retail geek. Loud and proud, I love all things retail, uh, and excited to be with you here today. Uh, James, you you mentioned uh, COVID-19. I think the true impacts on our business are pretty evident to everybody, both in the industry and to consumers, uh, even in the grocery store space. In 2019, uh, 95% of consumers would only buy their groceries in the physical store. At this year coming out of COVID-19, 78% will still expect to go back to that physical store as their primary grocery point of contact. That means we've gone from 95 down to 78. You know, how we discuss channels, probably less important today than how we discuss the entire digital experience and the connectivity regardless of how the consumer uh, wants to engage with us. All right, appreciate
0: that, Brian. Want to come back, Jamal, really briefly to you. Are there any other kind of core fundamentals that teams need to be thinking about as they're setting themselves out on this kind of
2: retail, e-tail journey in this transformation? Absolutely. Yes. And, and that's the short answer. And, and let me sort of uh, give it a little bit more heft. I think as a retailer, you know, one thing is a foregone conclusion. You, you're certainly not going to be a successful retailer, whether it's in the e-commerce world or in the non-e-commerce world, if you don't have products of value. I mean, so that let's take for granted that, that fundamentally anything that you're selling has to have some intrinsic value and some demand. So notwithstanding that, you know, th- there are certain core principles in terms of some of the e-commerce companies that I've worked for and I, I've, I've built uh, in my past. There have always been sort of these six principles that I've asked my teams to follow. And I, I often call them the six, six legs to the e-commerce tool, that if any one of these legs is slightly wobbly, it's just not going to work. And you know, the first one is user experience. Y- you want to have the ability to give your consumers and customers a really frictionless way of experiencing the buying uh, process. And, and that means the intuitiveness of your user designs. That's, that's a fundamental precursor uh, for e-commerce success. Now, the second is competitive pricing. Consumers are, have become spot traders. They have choices. They can open up your tab. They can open up another three or four competitors tab, and they will price match. So price consciousness is a key element. And that dovetails directly into the third leg to the stool is sourcing. So if your sourcing efficiency is there, you're going to find the right sourcing partners, the right products to source, and they will be aligned properly and appropriately from a pricing uh, perspective. You know, from the old school of, of business development or building companies, customer satisfaction is, is a foregone conclusion again. Without customer said, and in the e-com world, it's customer support. And then, you know, searching and catalogs, you know, what are the products that you provide and your searchability against that catalog so that customers don't have to jump through multiple jump-off points in order to get to that end product. And last is logistics. That sort of rounds out the whole process, uh, where if you are not able to provide that instant gratification, because keep in mind to what Brian had earlier expressed is is that there are still going to be 78% post-COVID. Of consumers and buyers will still want to go and have that feeling, that experience, that emotional psychology of instant gratification. So, how companies like Amazon and, and Staples and even Connection, for that matter, how we try and mitigate or reduce that gap that exists is having really strong logistics and sort of coupling all of this. As you can imagine, comes data. Comes you know whether it's user experience, whether it's your competitive price. Everything is predicated on the score construct of information. And so the last thing I will express on this is that those companies that have now taken this data model to a maturity level where they've brought in automation and automation through artificial intelligence and machine learning or statistical analysis or statistical models that are pretty sophisticated, they've reached a level of maturity in their engagement that is an ever increasing gap. And it's almost like this flywheel effect. That that gap may be narrow in the beginning because you have got the retail that you know the classic retail outlets that are banking on their brand equity, and they they've still got you know a global a sort of a national distribution capability and they've got their stores and so on and so forth, but but that gap has narrowed. If I think if, to be honest with you, at the at the expense of sounding extreme, I think it's completely extinguished. So those are sort of the, the underlying mechanics that I think companies that want to make this transition need to look at those six principles and then sort of uh, bring all of those together.
0: Well, all right. Good stuff there, Jamal. and really does, I think, set up you, set up Brian, our perspective, the conversation that we'll continue on having here. Folks, just a, a quick reminder to all of you on the webcast. If you do have a question, a comment, if you have an experience that you want to get an idea from Jamal or Brian on, type that into the Q&A. We'll mix that into the conversation as we go through our event. I want to come back, though, Jamal, because I think I'd love to have you muse a bit more on that four-letter word out there, data. It is something that 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 is so valuable. It's something that some people hear data and like, cool, give us insight. Other hear data, oh, I'm swimming in it. I don't know what it means to me. So, what does data mean to people right now? Uh, How are they viewing it? How important? How central do you see it? You alluded to it a moment ago, but how important is it to this transformation that retail is going through?
2: Yeah, James. So that that is a very broad question, and so I'm going to try and narrow it down because otherwise, I probably go on a monologue for about 30 minutes. And I, how I like to sort of paraphrase this, I think it's, it's safe to say, and I probably won't get a lot of pushback on this, is that we're in a thick of, of what I like to call sort of this hyper-individualized buyer psychology that in large measure drives how businesses interact and intermediate with their consumers and their customers. Now, in the digital world, you have unlimited variances, right? You've got unlimited floor space you have the ability or what I would call sort of end conditions or or end rabbit holes that you can take a customer or consumer down around product choices. Now, the smart ones don't give you those end choices. They're very prescriptive and they've built those analytics into those systems. So though they may have a catalog of 10,000 or 20,000 products, they will define the pathway you take and prod you down a pathway so they can get high conversions. But at the point of that financial transactions, you're also extricating a lot of information. Suffice it to say, you know, all of this can only happen if you've got a good grasp on the information and data that you extract out of these transactions. Yeah, Jamal, you know, it's interesting. You, You talk about data and
1: so many retailers might equate this back to what for years as a retailer we used to call creepy, right? What do my customers think is creepy when I go from category uh, management to personalization or customization of a retail experience. uh, But that's really what data allows us to do in retail, on the sales floor, across channels. Uh, We know uh, Gen Zs and millennials uh, in general have been allowing retailers or asking retailers in many cases to do this for years. What's really interesting now uh, post-pandemic is baby boomers. And Gen X, they've all jumped on board and started sharing more and more information, more and more data, if you will. Many of uh, the retailers out there, probably on this call right now, are feel like they're fighting against Amazon. And Amazon be the first to tell you though, they are a data and a logistics company. Yeah. They're not a retailer, right? So uh, when you think about where you need to go as a retailer and we need to be thinking about how that starts and stops from the data standpoint. Uh, there is no doubt that data is driving retail and will drive it for years to come.
0: Brian, you, you mentioned the word creepy, and, and I used to, uh, when we started you know, getting a more e-tailing in my world. All of a sudden, it was a little creepy. How did they know this? How did they not? But now I expect that. And so I want to lay out a little bit of an idea, though, about when things don't go as we expect them to go. So let's use that as more of the jumping off point here for you guys to discuss for a few minutes, the idea of mistakes that are happening, why they're happening, and maybe how they can be avoided.
1: Yeah, you know, the six steps that Jamal walked through... um, Absolutely had to be considered by every retailer out there. the one thing that I would say is uh, realize that we can't do all these things at once uh, so often we see these uh, prescriptive layouts of here's how you become a success right uh, here's what you need to consider and the one thing you know speaking as a retailer is always thinking about how do we prioritize these things so you know maybe think and, and share some of your thoughts on how you might
2: prioritize those so that we're not trying to bite everything off uh, yeah, all Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. And, and, and the reason is that you know, quite often, and this may be sort of you know, juxtaposed to sort of the, the argument that you're making, and perhaps you're not making this argument, but I've always found that companies that have not been successful in making transitions into effective e-commerce uh, organizations are the ones that try to approach those those six principles in a sequential fashion. Let's say user experience is your primary model and you say, hey, I'm going to make sure I button that down. But your pricing is out of whack. No matter how beautiful your user experience is, your pricing is completely off-center. You're not going to get a meaningful engagement with a customer. Or let's say if your pricing is fine and your user experience is fine, but your logistics is horrible and you're just not able to get the product. So let's say uh, your searching capability does not allow customers, you've got beautiful front ends, but they they don't have good searching capability to get to the products that they need. So I've always argued that that this is not one of those classic approaches on how to build e-commerce businesses, which is, hey, let's get good at one thing and then good at the next thing. No, you've got to become good at everything. So you attack those core principles at the same time. Now, you may take small steps in each of those principles, but you cannot think that you can go in a disjointed fashion. Uh, A lot of boards and a lot of companies make those investments Follow a sequential path, not a parallel path. They don't have good data models to be able to capture what's working and not working, and they give up. They give up too fast. And that's another sort of challenge that I've seen, you know, repeatedly made by boards and companies where they they walk away because, you know, the first six months or the first year was not successful. And that's again, I think, a mistake a lot of companies make. So what timeline are the you talking? How do
0: you push back to some of the customers you talk to and say, you got to be in this for the long haul?
2: Hey, hey, I mean, I think it took Amazon almost a decade. I mean, think about it. Amazon was in some ways bankrolled by Wall Street, right? So all their risks and their lack of uh, profitability over many, many years did not cause Amazon to move away from their core principle of what it is that they were building. And they had investors and they had Wall Street supporting them. And I guess in, in some ways, that's not always available for a lot of companies. But I think it's a multi year journey. And, and the reason I understand why boards walk away from these, these, what they will call sort of projects, and they walk away from them is one, they don't understand. Two, they don't have the data to show them those micro improvements. I mean, keep in mind, you're not going to in this space have these massive sort of inflection points where suddenly uh, your e commerce business is going to go viral and you will start making that as your principal form of revenue. But what you should have is a data model that gives you, down to a very variant level, the the ability to measure whether you are better today than you were yesterday. And even if that's by a fraction, that is showing progress. And I think what boards and, and executives of companies need to look at is be able to measure those slight improvements and the variances. And that requires, again, that data model. You've got to be able to have the ability to, to understand is... Uh, And and all of those six levels, what's working and not working. And if you can make the argument that today was better than yesterday, even by a small fraction, that's progress. And you should continue down that path because at some point, whether it's a year, two years, three years, four years down the road, you will have a compelling business. So, you know, all of that uh, just comes back to or feels like it comes
1: back to one of the classic issues that you have within organizations, which is siloing, right? Yeah, it is just so critical uh, when you think about these incremental changes and how you're moving a business forward, that line of business and our technology leaders within an organization are all sitting at the same table, hearing the same voice, uh, the same purpose and seeing those incremental changes. And that disconnect as you go from data to what I'll call the old school art of selling Uh, Is something that you can't duplicate on a piece of paper. And so uh, to me, it's critical that everyone in the organization now sit down. It's no longer, we'll have IT do this and we'll have marketing (laughs) do that, we'll have stores do this and we'll train our salespeople this way or that
2: way. Everyone has to sit down. I'll give you a more radical thought around that. I've often made the arguments with companies that are looking at making this transition that you're sometimes better off doing this in a bubble or doing this in a separate company. Because the cultural difference that exists in the classic corporate environment and and the culture that is required to make you a successful sort of born-in-the-cloud digital business are so distinct that sometimes sort of bridging that gap, given the inertia that exists, is insurmountable. And then you bring in sort of, if it's a public company, you bring in that quarterly sort of uh, cycle where you know, it's all about you know, profits and earnings per share and, and shareholder value. Do you have the longevity to think through some of these hard times in order to get to that end goal? And I think a lot of companies don't have that culture. So sometimes it's far better to sort of extricate and build a separate team, a, a separate organization outside of that classic company and let them go on their own, give them that space, give them the ability to fail, iterate, change, improve, and you will have likely a far greater likelihood of success if you approach it that way. And I think culture is, is critical. And without having the right culture, you, you know, companies are not going to be able to make those transitions. Thinking about culture, right,
1: uh, freeing up the culture to look at these things differently and you know, how does technology impact the people and the products and the placements? Uh, and culture is going to shift. Uh, coming out of a pandemic, it's one of the biggest changes that we will see. I know when talking with many retailers out there, they're concerned, what's Q4 business going to look like? Because what's a holiday look like post-pandemic? We don't know, but that's all driven culturally, right? So you really got to look inward. and You got to think about how do you push yourself out of that comfort zone and I'll be the first to tell you it's not easy to
2: do, but if you're going to succeed, you've got to be able to look at the world a little differently. Brian, to that point, the the concern uh, also, or the question that I think a lot of folks watching this uh, webcast might ask is, you know, what does connection bring to the equation, right? I mean, um, what's the value or what's that partner ecosystem that I need, whether I'm a large retailer or I'm a mid-sized retailer or a small retailer? where do I go? How do I get these questions codified, defined, and who can help me navigate through that, that, through that process? My response to that in, in very short terms, and I'd love to get your thoughts uh, on that as well, Brian, is that yes, connection is one integral partner that can bring a, a large elements of the, the value that you need in that partner ecosystem. I mean, given who we are, Uh, Our size, our breadth, our scope, our our ability to sort of come in and support you in a a lot of different areas, not only just helping you build out that core infrastructure, but building out those those intermediation transaction points, whether it's point of sales, whether it's digital e-commerce, whether it's helping you define and drive your digital strategy and what that entails, and then maybe perhaps building out your cloud strategy, building out your security framework. We haven't even talked about consumer uh, security and, and issues related to PII. Uh, uh, data governance, uh, you know GDPR and things of that sort. But it, here's Connection, which is that one organization that maybe does not address everything, but certainly can bring for you and bring to bear f- on your behalf, a lot of those elements that you need in order to start this journey and perhaps go through this journey. So I, I'd love to get your thoughts, Brian, on that. Even just
1: by hearing all of those components,
2: right? That's a lot to bite off. I, I know if I
1: was Uh, still out there running uh, a a chain of stores and thinking about all those components would be overwhelming for sure. Uh, You know, we at Connection, uh, we use a very prescriptive approach with our partners, uh, hundreds of partners that we sit down with, uh, whether it be in cloud, whether it be in networking, mobility. uh, uh, I know James at the top, you you mentioned that Apple partnership, but we like to use a philosophy uh, built on survive, and thrive, right? So as you think about what do you bite off first? What are the things that will impact your business the most? What are those things that might translate best from one touch point to another, uh, or what you might call platforms, right? Uh, how do you engage from the digital to the physical world, uh, retail to retail? Getting those items into buckets of what's required to survive, right? What do you need to do to maximize what you have today. Uh, that's really what myself uh, and the entire Connection team wants to do, is sit down at that table, again, line a business with technology, everyone together, and talk about how do we put these things into bucket? How do we create clear goals? How are we going to measure them? And how do we know we're making an impact that can keep a business moving forward today and thriving for years to come? That's the ultimate goal, right? Folks, if you would like to hear more from our team and explore some additional resources, you
0: can visit connection.com slash retail.